0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, this is Tracy Jan calling from The Post. i my the
1: president Trump, how are you?
0: Hi, Hi. it's Robert Gibbon at The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's the afternoon of Wednesday, November 4th. Today, counting continues in battleground states that are too close to call. And how Democrats failed Latino voters in Florida. So, Aaron Blake, reporter for The Fix, it is 1 p.m. on the day after Election Day. Did you actually sleep at all last night?
2: (laughs) I made a valiant effort to try and take a nighttime nap between about 3 and 6 a.m., and then I started to see that we were going to get more results from Wisconsin, and that just fell apart rather quickly. So, I'm going on about a day and a half without sleep at this point.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, so at this point right now, where do we stand with the count in the presidential race?
2: Well, ever since early to mid-Wednesday morning, very early Wednesday morning, Things have been getting better for Joe Biden. The counts in Wisconsin and Michigan have improved for him as we've seen an influx of mail ballots, particularly from urban areas like Milwaukee County and like Wayne County in Michigan, which is home to Detroit. These ballots have gone overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. There has been a lot of them And accordingly, he has asserted a small lead in two of the most crucial states on the map, which at this point give him more paths to victory with many races still uncalled, uh, but more paths to victory, according to what we know at this point.
0: So then in terms of what we still don't know, what are the states that are critical that still need to be called? And when do we expect to see actual announcements on that?
2: Well, this race right now comes down to about seven states, and I would argue down to five states. Mm. Two states out west show Joe Biden leading right now. That's Arizona and that's Nevada. Generally speaking, his campaign is confident about those states. If he does win those states, we basically have five other states. That would be Wisconsin, that would be North Carolina, Georgia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. According to the math that I've done on the Electoral College, Joe Biden needs to win two of these states to win the presidency. President Trump, by contrast, would need to win four of them. So as you can see from those numbers, the president's path to victory is significantly more difficult and Joe Biden uh, really doesn't need to run the table in anywhere near the same way.
0: So do we have a sense of, of those critical states on the East Coast where we could see results come sooner rather than later or where we could expect to have many days before we actually see something substantive?
2: Well, we've heard from election officials in Georgia that we should have pretty much close to final results by the end of the day on Wednesday. At the same time, the race could be close enough that we might be talking about something like a recount, and we might not have an authoritative winner. The two states that are really lingering out there are Pennsylvania and Nevada, where the counting of mail-in ballots is allowed after Election Day, as long as the ballots were postmarked. So we could see a situation where through Friday, we're still seeing new ballots come in in Pennsylvania, and through November 12th, which is actually the deadline in Nevada, we could see new ballots flowing in there. So those states could take a little bit longer depending on how many ballots we have. Uh, But immediately, I think the big questions are, are Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin with perhaps a little bit of North Carolina mixed in there, but that's looking pretty good for President Trump right now.
0: So actually, just a, a few minutes ago, President Trump's campaign announced that they're going to request a recount in the state of Wisconsin. What what exactly does that mean and how will that affect what we can expect from when we're going to actually find out what happened in Wisconsin?
2: So the vote count in Wisconsin is about 20,000 in the favor of Joe Biden. That's about 0.6%. This is inside the margin for a requested recount, so we could see a recount. Generally speaking, when the margins are that big, you don't actually see the recount overturning the results, much less having a huge impact. And so I I would view this more as a chance to draw this out, raise concerns about the election, rather than necessarily thinking they might win Wisconsin at the end of the day. 20,000 votes in a big state may not sound like a lot, but it is really difficult to overturn. Wisconsin's threshold for a recount is larger than some other states. Other states will put it at a half a point or less. The larger threshold is viewed as a good government thing, it allows people to have Faith in their electoral system that if it's close at all, they can do a recount. The shifts that we see from these kinds of recounts just aren't anywhere near that big, barring some kind of a massive error in how the election was run. And as we heard from Wisconsin election officials on Wednesday, they say they have complete confidence that this election was run in a rather flawless manner. Hmm.
0: So as you point out, right now, there are slightly more paths to victory for Biden than there are for Trump. But at the same time, when you compare the situation as it stands right now to what I think many Democrats and frankly many Republicans were expecting a week ago, the race is a lot closer than many people forecasted. What is your sense so far of why that is?
2: Yeah, look, there is no question that this is a closer race than a lot of people expected. Certainly, the polls suggested that these Midwestern states were going to go for Joe Biden much more easily than they have been. We've seen a shift by about five, six, seven points in some of these states based upon what the final polling averages were. In other portions of the country, the polls weren't necessarily so far off but we were talking about races that were pretty close to begin with and they've really been up for grabs and so i think that there is a a really valid conversation to be had just like we had after 2016 about polling specifically in states that are competitive because we don't seem to be getting a very accurate picture even though in some of these states, unlike in 2016, we saw many more polls than we did. So I think that there is, there is certainly a reckoning to be had there. I think on the national level, it's been closer to the reality with Joe Biden winning slightly more than a majority of the popular vote. But the question, of course, just as it was in 2016, is whether President Trump can pull off an unlikely upset by going through a, a very efficient use of the Electoral College.
0: I'm also curious if from the states that have officially been called, if there are places that have surprised you or results that are different from how you expected that they would play out.
2: Well, I think that certainly begins with Florida, which was the big early surprise on election night. Uh, This was a state where the late polls showed Joe Biden leading by a little bit more than two points, and we wound up seeing that shift by about five points, six points towards the president so a pretty big polling miss but not necessarily something that's unusual for florida and the other key point about florida is that it's not necessarily transferable to other states this was a a miss that was very much because of one specific county in miami dade county and that's a, a county that is very much unlike any other portion of the country Beyond that, I think some of the biggest misses have been in some of these Midwestern states, particularly the biggest ones that President Trump won easily in 2016, Iowa and Ohio. He won each of them by more than eight points. The polls showed them both to be neck and neck, and he won them rather easily. So I think we we thought we might be confronting a new reality or maybe returning to a reality in which these parts of the Midwest maybe weren't so Trump-friendly. And then on election night, we got a reality check that, hey, we, we were a little bit closer to where we were in 2016 than I think a lot of us realized.
0: So I think many of us watched very early this morning when President Trump gave a big speech at the White House about how much he has won and all these states in which he has been declared the winner, even though that is definitively not true.
1: It's also clear that we have won Georgia. We're up by... 2.5 percent or 117,000 votes with only 7 percent left. They're never going to catch us. They can't catch us. Likewise, we've clearly won North Carolina.
0: And in many ways, I think that that rhetoric from the president is not surprising, that we knew that he is the kind of person who will go ahead and say that he's won when he's not in fact won. But I'm wondering if you see that as just sort of the normal blowharding from what we see from President Trump, or if there is a real danger to that that language that we've seen so far in terms of actually having an effect on the rest of this count.
2: Uh, I think that the short answer is that it's both. This was entirely predictable uh, in that it actually was predicted. It was reported beforehand by a few people that this was something that the president might do on election night, basically declare victory long before it looked like he was winning or even if it looked like he might be losing. And that's exactly what we got. On the other hand, as our colleague Dan Baltz here at The Washington Post wrote, for a president who often tramples upon norms and kind of bulldozes over the political rules of the day, effectively saying that the vote counting should halt before all the votes are counted, especially in an extremely competitive state, talking about like Pennsylvania, talking about some of these other states that maybe he was showing a small lead in, but we all know there were a lot of mail ballots still coming in that hadn't been counted yet. We're now talking about something that, is anti-democratic. It disenfranchises people. If you were to end the ballot counting at that point, there is no evidence of any kind of fraud involved here. These were mail ballots that were legally sent and are allowed to be received after election day. Many states allow that. So the fact that the president would go down this route fits with his brand very much, which is to raise allegations of voter fraud, question anything that suggests he's not going to win, At the same time, uh, among the many things he has done raising questions about people's faith in their their country and their country's government, the democratic processes, this was really entering new territory even for him.
0: And I think it's worth just continuing to point out the irony of the fact that you had in the weeks and months before the election, Republicans who were advocating to ensure that rules did not change in some of these states that had very restrictive rules on when those ballots could begin to be counted and processed. And that they were the ones who set up the situation where they couldn't start until the last minute. And then President Trump comes in and says, well, because this count started at the last minute and it's going past election day, that that means that these ballots are no longer valid. And it feels like that irony extends to the fact that you're likely going to see some legal battles now over these counts.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania legislatures are all controlled by Republicans. In all three states, those Republicans resisted, unlike legislatures in other states, actually moving forward the time during which those mail ballots could be counted I think there is a a thought there that perhaps they felt that counting them later would make it more of a legal issue, but it also played directly into the president's hands when it comes to raising suspicions about things that are just patently not suspicious. Um, We see ballots counted after election day all the time. We may think we have a winner by that point and those ballots may not wind up being determinative, but the ballot counting always lasts beyond election day and in some states for many days beyond election day. So as with many things during the Trump era, it allowed him to raised this kind of thorny and unwieldy process as something nefarious when in fact this is really kind of just the messy work of a very decentralized and disparate election system in the United States given that it's essentially run by 50 states and in many of those states is run at a local level and it is handled very differently at those local levels.
0: And I think it's easy to be dismissive about Trump's language and messaging here and say, well, you know, people can expect that President Trump will just declare himself winner because that's who he is and hopefully people won't believe it. But I think that the fact that this is happening as we're seeing how close this election is and how so many people in this country continue to believe in and trust President Trump, I think that makes it more scary.
2: What struck me about it was that even as he was— making these fanciful and, in some cases, outright false claims, he was getting cheered.
1: We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at four o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, okay?
2: People were hearing these things that were just not true, and they were responding positively and boisterously. But what we've seen is that uh, things like voter fraud uh, are uh, is something that a large portion of the American population believes is widespread, even though there's no proof of that. Many of the conspiracy theories that the president has given voice to have come to be embraced or at least tolerated by large portions of the Republican Party. And so to the extent the president plants this seed and has repeatedly fertilized it as president, people who are inclined to believe that he's great and to support him are more likely to believe it. And if you just kind of keep driving that point home, eventually it kind of becomes taken as an article of faith among people who maybe haven't looked terribly close at these things. I think the fact that, that there's been a cheering for a president essentially saying we shouldn't count votes in certain states really speaks to the progression that we've seen when it comes to the president trying to undermine confidence in the voting process.
0: Aaron Blake is a reporter for The Fix. After we taped this interview, at about 3 p.m. on Wednesday, the Associated Press projected that Biden will win Wisconsin. Just before 5 p.m., Biden was projected to win Michigan. So, given all this, according to Aaron's math, winning Nevada and Arizona would give Biden a path to victory. Meanwhile, the Trump campaign said that they were declaring victory in Pennsylvania, though the state has not yet been called for either candidate. As the whole country waits for election officials to finish counting the votes in those remaining critical states, post reporters are there, in the rooms where those counts are happening, watching the whole process unfold.
3: Hi, this is Reese Thibault. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. It's 11 a.m. on Wednesday, and I am at the Voter Registration and Elections Office in DeKalb County. It's this classically boring government office with linoleum floors and gray walls, but it's buzzing this morning. There are dozens of workers preparing to process thousands of crucial ballots, and the way they do it is sort of like an assembly line of democracy. Workers verify signatures, sort the ballots by precinct, and then send them through a machine that opens all the envelopes, gets them ready to go through a scanner that kind of looks like a printer. And then they have to do the
1: and they'll
4: upload it to the system. Okay. Okay. So scan, upload. Let me try to open those doors for you. Okay.
3: And we will actually count the votes. They have about seven of those going at the same time, and they say it'll move pretty fast when it starts, but. It's a really close race here in Georgia, and it'll come down to absentee ballots that are still being processed.
5: Hi, um, my name is Amber Ferguson. I'm a video producer at The Post, and I'm at the Pennsylvania Convention Center here in Philadelphia. It's around 1 p.m. right now, and mail-in ballots are being counted. So here where I am, there's about 325,000 mail-in ballots. There's 100 contract workers working around the clock, 24 hours to get these ballots counted. They're working in eight-hour shifts. Um, so far around 1 p.m., there's been 180,000 ballots counted. Uh, one of the officials said that it was a pretty run-of-the-mill election yesterday, and there weren't major problems. Um, however, they're only able to count a maximum of 10,000 ballots an hour. Here, the mood overall is a lot of urgency in the building, but it's also calm. Um, The commissioner's really stressing that they're working as fast as they can just for the Philadelphia mail-in ballots. They're thinking by tomorrow morning they'll have them counted, but officially we're not going to know who wins Pennsylvania until probably Friday.
6: This is Time Hamburger. It's noon at TCF convention center in Detroit. We're in the giant basement room where absentee and mail ballots are being counted. And the noise in the background here are instructions to volunteers who are pouring into this convention center on behalf of Republican and Democratic candidates. Earlier today, the Secretary of State updated numbers showing that Joe Biden had surpassed Donald Trump in Michigan, based in part on the count that's coming from this hall in Detroit. For that reason, both parties called for volunteers to come and serve as challengers to look over the ballot counting and raise any objections to ballots that might be considered fraudulent or to raise objections to those who might be challenging a ballot but without merit.
7: It's 1 p.m. in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the polls have been closed for 17 hours. I'm Kim Belware. I'm a national reporter for The Washington Post, and I'm in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The polls have been showing an increasingly tight race between President Trump and Joe Biden. And right now, with 99% of all of the precincts counted in the state, Biden appears to be up with a lead of about 20,000 votes. That's roughly equivalent to the margin of victory that President Trump had in 2016 when he took the state by less than 1%. Already, though, this narrow margin has prompted the Trump campaign to look around for the possibility of a recount. While a recount could delay knowing the results of the election, it would probably do little to help Trump's chances of taking the state former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, a Republican, said as much on Twitter this morning when he said that a 20,000 vote span is a pretty steep hill for Trump to climb. In the meantime, county clerks around the state will have to look and see what their capacity is to handle a recount, which would have to be financed by the Trump campaign or the Republican Party. Meanwhile, People just want to know the results. They're going about their business today. Things seem otherwise normal, and it is beautiful outside. But things are quiet. There hasn't been any signs of unrest, any protests, mostly just more Americans who, like everybody else around the country, want to know who the next president will be.
0: That was Reese Tebow, Amber Ferguson, Tom Hamburger, and Kim Belware. And now, one more thing from reporter Jose Del Real about a takeaway that surprised many Democrats on Tuesday night, the support for Trump from Latino voters in Florida.
8: On Tuesday night, as results started coming in from various counties in Florida, I think a lot of political observers were quite surprised to see that the numbers in places like Miami, in Orlando, weren't quite adding up to expectations. Well, essentially it's a, it's a nail
1: biter as it always is here in, in Florida. At the uh,
0: moment, it's not looking
8: too good in Florida for Joe Biden.
1: That's NBC something. News is projecting Donald Trump will be the ultimate winner in Florida and its 29 electoral votes. Right
6: what
8: emerged after the exit polls began to come out was a growing consensus that Latinos were breaking for Trump. But that, again, repeated the mistake of assuming that Latinos are
4: one electorate. I'm Reverend Gabriel Salguero. and live in Orlando, Florida. I'm the president and founder of the National Latino Evangelical Coalition, and the pastor of the gathering place in Orlando, Florida. The biggest misconception is that our Latinos are a monolith as a voting block. And the second one I would say is any party could take us for granted. They can't. Neither party has a monopoly on the Latino vote.
8: When we started seeing results coming from California, from Arizona, from other states where Latinos are a political force in significant numbers, it became very clear that these voters were behaving in ways that were distinct from each other based on very simple things like where they live, what their gender is, their income, their education, their faith.
4: Cubans in Florida have historically voted Republican, although that is uh, generational, right? Older Cubans vote more Republican, younger Cubans vote more Democrat. Puerto Ricans historically vote Democrat. Unless they're Puerto Rican and Cuban evangelicals, which tend to be much more center-right.
8: Certainly, the Democratic Party in the past has appeared to assume that Latino voters are natural Democratic
4: voters. I think that both parties wait too late to reach out to the Latino border.
8: But in fact, when I speak to political strategists and demographers with expertise on these distinct communities across the country, what they always tell me is that outreach really matters. Political outreach matters in these communities.
4: The biggest mistake I think politicians make is they take Latinos for granted and they their outreach on both parties is late in the political season.
8: And... Because of the way that our political and media infrastructure is set up to really center white voters, both in terms of getting information to them and getting their votes, a lot of these communities end up existing in information deserts where no campaigns are reaching out to them at all. What that does is it creates an opportunity for candidates or campaigns that are savvy enough or have a specific understanding of a smaller subsection of these communities to make a play for them. I think we have to also understand the demographic makeup of Florida. When you're looking at Miami, you have a lot of Cuban Americans, you have um, a lot of Venezuelan Americans, You have communities that have either in their immediate personal histories or in their pan-generational family histories have fled socialist countries. And you also had an environment in which the president's campaign was specifically targeting those voters with messaging uh, that mischaracterized former Vice President Joe Biden's position on socialism. I think one thing we really have to reckon with is the way in which our political and media infrastructures are organized around delivering information to a specific type of voter and are organized around getting a specific type of voter to turn out to vote. And what happens is that communities that are excluded from that process either don't turn up to vote or turn up to vote in ways that you do not expect them to.
0: José del Real writes about politics for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. The election results are still coming in, and things may have changed by the time you're hearing this. The Post has lifted its paywall on stories about voting issues and the election results. For the latest updates, go to WashingtonPost.com. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.